Hello, and welcome to part two of The Record Breakers. Before we kick back into this episode, I just want to say a big thank you for everyone who's offered some kind words about part one so far and what we're trying to do here with the podcast. And thank you all to those who hit subscribe and listen to what we have to say. We are very, very appreciative of all of the feedback and we look forward to bringing you more and more episodes in the coming weeks and months. Speaking of which, our first poll is over and done with. Tough Guys will be your next episode. Brad Voth, Mike Way, Mike McWilliam, and of course, they don't call him the Franimal for nothing. So we'll be delving into Franny's fight card as well and trying to get in the minds of those famous tough guys that have worn the Cardiff Devil shirt. That episode should be with you in the next few weeks. So everyone keep hitting subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. But for now, let's sit back, relax, and enjoy part two of The Record Breakers. Um, through this streak, John, there's two games I want to throw to you, mm. both including the Sheffield Steelers. Um, the first is a 3-2 victory in December. Now, I believe this is the night that the ice came mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, ben Simon spent quite a lengthy <laughs> amount of time. Yes. Um, we'll find the ins and outs of what he was saying in a, in a second from mm. Franny. But to concentrate on that game from, from a perspective that I, I think you'll appreciate, that to me was the first time in a long time that Cardiff had a big league game. That felt like a big old time league title deciding game. Yeah, it did indeed. And if, if, if memory serves, I think Scott Matzka scored the game-winning goal that night in that so. 3-2 win. And um, I, I think it was just the, 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 the confidence that was, was breeding that year that Cardiff were winning in places or winning against teams that we didn't traditionally win against, such as going into the NIC, <coughs> Craig Weller's first game, and, and, and then again after Christmas and, and, and winning there. And, you know, we beat Sheffield at, at home, and I, I know we're going to talk about... Uh, uh, an away game afterwards. Um, so, so kind of, you know, we were winning in places that we didn't traditionally win, and I think that goes down to again, it was, it was a real character team that year, starting from from G and Franny. But again, you know, I've talked about Finity, Scott Matzka, one of my favourite ever Devils players. Craig Weller had a huge impact on the on the team. Brad Voth, the former captain, who was a great role player. You know, I think. Phil Hill is, is hugely underrated. Yes, we've all talked about Phil. Could he have thrown more checks and what have you? The number of big goals I think Phil Hill scored in, in his, his Cardiff Devils career, just arriving late with a one-timer or something like that, I think you know he, he was a, a, a leader in his own way. And then Franny has touched on Tyler Michelle and what have you. So we were able to, to dig out results, and not even dig out results, you know, win big games with style that perhaps we hadn't done for, for, for quite some time, which is what made that team so special. Franny, what did Ben Simon have a problem with the ice for? And is it true he tried to get that game abandoned? Um, the biggest problem for Ben Simon is they were losing at the time. <laughs> and then, I mean, the ice in the BBT, as we tried to explain to him, you know, it, it's not uh, 
it's not state of the art here. You know, we, like this next time you visit. Yeah, <laughs> this is what we play on. This is what we practice on every week. And um, maybe the guy's hands were so good just because we quite often had um, cones out in practice covering a big hole in the ice. <laughs> um, you know, so they were all, they were used to it. But uh, yeah, there was there was a, a hole in the ice, and you know, as much as the, the linesman tried to freeze it up with the old uh, CO2 spray and all that, um, it wasn't sort of patching up so well. And you know he was really keen to to call it off, and it was it was a whisker away. I think there was phone calls being made to you know head of officials. Um, I, I remember that um, big the power forward they had that Vatha for early on in the season, Neil Clark. Neil Clark. Uh, yeah. He had taken a hit, so he was like in the dressing room throwing up with a concussion yeah. or something. So he was a couple of guys down. Yeah. They're losing the game, and you know. I think if you're winning that game, you never are going to mm-hmm. get that. Try and get that called off. You just sort of play it out, and you know you you accept the risk. But you know he was doing his best to get it called off, and it was very close to being called off. And I think um, they gave it just that little bit extra time for for something to freeze, and yeah. and you know the ring staff did a good job and got it to a just just about acceptable level. They yeah they got the uh, the ice to just about an acceptable level where you know there wasn't quite sand coming through onto the ice. You know they had the <laughs> Uh, a micro millimeter of uh, of frozen water <laughs> over the top of it, and yeah, it was. We played on and, and we go through to to win that game. But what about the last call now? Andy French who had been in charge at this time. I can't remember who was. Who he was, was in charge official. of discipline at the time. Yeah, Murray had officiating. Yeah, I think it, you know it probably was Frenchy, and you know the, the referee was was phoning him to see what to do, and I think the outcome was if if there is sand. You know the sand bases on the ice, then it's dangerous. You you can't play. If you can get something frozen over it, then the game goes on. And oh. like I say, the rink staff came in and gave it that extra bit of squirt with the uh, the fire extinguisher, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and then um, you know we managed to, to to get the win and keep keep the streak going. A month later, another Sheffield game. This time away from home, in the House of Steel. And a game which I will freely admit at the time had me planning my end of season mm-hmm. celebration party. Cardiff Devils beat the Sheffield Steelers seven to one in the House of Steel in January to continue the streak. John, bit of plane trains and automobiles for you. Yeah. Um, but did you as well as me think that that was the game that had started the title procession? I thought Sheffield fans thought that. I, I remember waiting for the bus uh, after the game, and Sheffield fans saying, you've got it this year. Uh, and at that point, yeah, I really did uh, start to believe. So I, I think the club had, had done a great job putting on a couple of coaches um, to go to Sheffield. It was a midweek game, but the team wanted some support. But one of the coaches sort of broke down, and we were stuck at Tamworth Services. So myself and... Glenn, who's a well-known Devils fan, and, and, and my partner at the time, and a few others jumped in a taxi and, and paid sort of 60 quid to get from Tamworth to, to Sheffield just in time for face-off, and uh, completely worth it. The, the first period alone, I remember Craig Weller scoring with a bullet. I remember G scoring a lovely goal. I think John Pelle scored one on the, on the on the back door, and it was around about 4-0 at the end of the first period, and the Steelers were shell-shocked, and, and we just didn't let up the, the, the whole game. Um... And I also, it wasn't a live Sky game, but it was it was the main game on the a highlight show. And I remember David Sims and, and Rick Strachan were there. And before the game, I think they previewed. They thought Sheffield were going to win. And then afterwards, and don't get me wrong, I you know I, I got on very well with David Sims, but it was kind of 
you could see the shock in his eyes um, where he had to talk about how magical Cardiff were that night. And yeah, 7-1 win against Sheffield where we did completely outplay them. Um, and you're talking, what, 16, 17 games to go. And, but what must have been so frustrating for the guys, and I don't know whether Franny wants to, to talk about this, we were on that winning streak, but yet we were never seven points clear or eight points clear or ten points clear. We were winning all these games, and yet we never opened up a gap of more than sort of three or four points. So that, that must have been frustrating, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't even think we were leading for... Or we might have been leading, but there was always two teams that, that you know, there was Sheffield and Belfast that were, were right there with us. And just when, you, you know, we thought, well, with this many games in the, in the bag, we must have opened up a lead by now. You looked and it was tiny, wasn't it? Yeah. But yeah, going back to that that Sheffield game, it was it was probably one of the most dominant performance against you know your, your biggest rival mm-hmm. in in modern times, and it was it was one of those magical nights where we our possession must have been upwards of eighty percent. It was it was relentless. It was phenomenal. You know that first period, it was just going bang, 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 goal, 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 and the arena was deadly silent. Um, and I think uh, my dad was actually on the coach yeah. that broke down with you too. And uh, they they arrived. They didn't take the taxi. They cheaped out and they waited. For the, <laughs> they waited for the cavalry to arrive, and they got there at the end of the first period, yeah. and you know could not believe the score. Um, and you know what a period to miss. That was, you know, was one of the finest periods I've seen. I remember, was it that game Jeff Leguie got thrown out there was a Jeff Leguie or something, throwing a glove or, or there, there was you could just tell there was so much frustration in that building that night uh, as Franny said it was uh, deathly quiet apart from the, the, the Cardiff fans who had, who had made the trip and uh, yeah, I remember Kenton Smith scoring a goal and, and what have you and, and when that buzzer went and it, it wasn't just the score it was the fact that the Devils had been so dominant and looked by far the best team in the league now guys I was with you I I thought that was the night we'd broken the hoodoo and, and we'd go on to, to claim that title. Just like to point out, the bus never broke down when I ran away travel. I always got you there and back. You did. You know, did. But we never beat Sheffield. So. We never beat Sheffield. No. Swings and rounds. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't. Those damned Dundee stars. Before the streak started, it was a loss to the Dundee stars, 7-3 up in their building. And it is the Dundee Stars that break the streak on the 16th of January in a shootout. So Not many fans are going to be there. It's a, it's a Sunday evening. I was just going to say, it wasn't just the Dundee Stars that broke the heart, wasn't it? Ex-Devil it was Jayla Tulip. Yeah, it was Jayla Tulip. Um, I mean, really, couldn't you have just had a quiet word <laughs> <laughs> before he takes that I think, I think right now Jay's gutted about that. <laughs> really, because, uh, you know, he's a huge Devils fan, and you know, whenever I speak to him or message him or whatever, you know, he still talks about that that penalty shootout loss. Um, you know, that that was a heartbreaker when he was on the team, and you know, he's he's delighted that things are going so well in Cardiff, and yeah, you know, ironically, it was him that. That broke the uh, that broke the streak and and ultimately you know ended you know what we thought was was going to be the uh, you know the first league title in in ages. Um, I mean, got to point out not as an excuse, but you know back then we weren't as fortunate as we are now. I mean that was a bus trip to Dundee, so if it was a Sunday night, we would have played 
on Saturday. Yeah. Um, we'd have been just if the, the, the Saturday game is actually that Ryan finished the overtime goal, winner yeah. against Coventry, so high emotion. Yeah. You've gone to overtime, yeah. you've battled, yeah. Yeah. Five to four. And, and then you're up at probably five in the morning. Yeah. Jumping on a bus at six, <laughs> um, arriving there two two and a quarter hours before face off and you know dundee is the longest trip in scotland as well so it's not just you know going up to to edinburgh glasgow yeah. or whatever but you know that extra whatever it is mm-hmm. hour or two oh, to yeah. to dundee and you know i always used to, to to have a wry smile when you know i'd hear other teams moaning about travel when they had to travel from sort of mid areas of the country all the way to dundee and yeah. you know you try banging another five hours on top of that yeah. then then you know what travel problems are um but yeah i mean we didn't fare very well in in dundee at all um had you started because this is a question that you know guys myself Alex used to ask andrew lord and he was great at, at, at putting the uh the bluff face on had you and she started talking about the title at this stage was it we had so much bad luck and, and we were never supposed to win it because we played in the big blue tens and Sheffield, Belfast and what have you. Had you guys allowed yourself to think about winning the title? I, I don't think we consciously did or we didn't admit it to each other anyway. So we never had open conversations about it. Um, but, you know, probably in, in our heads and, uh, you, know, you know, certainly in my head, it was, you know, this is going so well. Up until that Dundee game, I honestly felt, and I, I'm sure the players felt the same, that we were never going to lose a game <laughs> because we we felt absolutely bulletproof and you know this is where the G and I had to keep reminding you know to do all those things and not get complacent but we would arrive at buildings knowing that we were going to win and it just showed in the performances you know the, the confidence was through the roof and you know anyone that's ever played sport at whatever level knows it's so much down to confidence you know we've seen it recently with a team that was playing with confidence absolute joy to watch mm-hmm. and then when that confidence goes for whatever reason and it can be little silly things that um that cause the confidence to go you know a couple of bad plays or a few crossbars here and there and you know it's uh it makes such a difference in in the team but everybody was brimming with confidence and i do remember thinking i don't see how possibly we can lose another game but but <laughs> we go to dundee we get into the shootout even in the shootout because not all the games had been sort of seven one wins they'd mm-hmm. you know we had, like you say, the night before, one in overtime, and you just, you know, when things are going your way, they're going your way, yeah. so you get that overtime break, and, you know, you mentioned earlier about it, it looks like it's a, a goal to break it, you know, big save from Stevie Lyle, and then that pops Finner on the breakaway, um, you know, and even in that shootout, okay, okay, but we got this because that's what we're doing, yeah. you know, we're winning games, and... You know, we, okay, it's going to be a little bit of a, a close one, and we can laugh about it after the game, and we got it. But you know, on that night, it it didn't work that way. Well, you win the next three: four uh, 0 against Brayhead, three one against the Holstein Race, thirteen two against the Edinburgh Cabinets. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's uh, that's going to still be a, a record. <laughs> um, there are a couple of losses sprinkled in in and around that, but. Is this February stretch, which for me is where it was lost, John? I know you feel mm-hmm. maybe the beginning of the season as well. Yeah, attributed to it, which it obviously did. Um, but these three losses from the nineteenth of Feb um, to the twenty sixth, uh, losing to Sheffield twice, mm. crucially, and Brayhead, coincide with Tyler Michelle being suspended. Um, 
which Jared Adams described as immense frustration and he actually outwardly said he had a lack of respect for the league for the way that they handled the suspension of Tyler Michelle around this time. Uh, Franny, obviously, um, the G speaking so passionately or publicly Mm -hmm. must have been something that got in the room as well. Yeah, it's... um it, the, the Tyler Michelle suspension, I don't want to be too controversial, but it's still, <laughs> it's still talked about as the most ridiculous suspension. And that, you know, and, and some of the Brad Vothelins were overly harsh. Is it more ridiculous that Clarkson being suspended for his reflection? For the reflection. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> still my number one. Yeah, but um, same team, um, <laughs> same, same GM. <laughs> uh, I remember the incident. It was. Dan uh, Welsh, yes, yeah. Dan Welsh, submarine hits Max Beerbrier. Max is down on the floor. And we knew before Max had come to us he'd had you know a really bad ACL injury which ended his North American career. Uh, he's down on the floor. I think one of our players tries to go for Welsh and you know linesmen jump in or defensemen jump in or whatever. Um, and this is you know we talked about Vatha being more controlled when the thing you know when we were on the streak. We've lost a few games now, and there's maybe a little bit of um, pressure has built up because you know that feeling that we're never going to lose a game is gone. Our invincibility shield is gone. We you know felt maybe a little vulnerable. Uh, so in the next face-off, um, I remember it clearly now. Tyler lines up against Dan Welsh, and as soon as the puck is dropped, he drops his gloves. He pushes him, and Dan Welsh turns to, towards him, and he no choices him into a fight. So yes, Tyler Michelle is the instigator of the fight. It's not a sucker punch. You know, he, he says, let's go. He uh-huh. gives him a little cross check. He gives him a little shove. The gloves come off. Dan Welsh knows it's, it's coming. Um, they start fighting. Dan Welsh even throws a punch back uh-huh. and catches Tyler with one. But Tyler ends up, you know, throwing some quick ones and Welsh goes down. And he gets thrown out of the game. And I remember thinking at the time, being thrown out of the game, what a ludicrous call uh-huh. that was. Um, because it was nothing more than an instigation. You know, it's kind of the reaction that you, you know, you like to see when one of your teammates yeah. has been, you know, uh, has been injured with a cheap shot. You know, I'd rather somebody instigate a fight with me any day of the week over submarine hit to my knees. Yeah. Um, and Tyler Michelle steps up for his team. You know, had we still been on the streak, I don't think that would happen because I think we may would have maybe would have risen above it. Mm-hmm. But by that time, I think pressure was beginning to tell. You know, that's probably when guys are starting mm-hmm. to realise that it's not quite as clean cut as, as we thought it was, and yeah, you know, maybe that was the the reason. But still, I mean, I don't really blame Tyler for for that mm-hmm. play. I think you know he. He sought to give a bit of justice to Dan Welsh in the way that uh, you know he probably should have been thrown out for yeah. a submarine hit, um, and it's you know we, I remember getting called into the uh, the referees room because obviously things on the ice were quite uh, quite tense, and you've got Doug Christian in in there saying uh, that's a Batuzzi hit, that's a Batuzzi hit. Now the incident he's referring to is yeah. when Todd Batuzzi sucker punches. Can't remember the guy. Steve, Steve Moore. Moore, Moore yeah. Steve Moore from behind. Steve Moore drops to the ice and breaks his neck, yeah. I think, you know, and, and Batuzzi jumps on him and still throwing punches when he's knocked out on the floor. Now, that is what he's sowed in the mind, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and that is obviously where the referee report kind of stuck with yeah. it. 
I don't think I dealt with it as well as I as I should have because instead of calling out Christensen, you know, and, and you know maybe calmly explaining, mm-hmm. hang on, this is what Batuzzi did. Yeah. This is what you know. I was so frustrated at um, at the call for a start that he's been thrown out. Let alone that somebody is talking about Batuzzi, you know. And it, it got into an argument in that in that room, and maybe that wasn't the best thing to do, um, and something that that I regret. But still, you know that that incident was then reviewed by the league, and at the end of it, Tyler Michelle gets a five game ban. Now every time that there was an incident after that where we tried to compare the two the response was always ah yeah but you can't use that incident because because what you know no, yeah. <laughs> uh, because it, it's so it's so far out of of reality that uh um that you could never use that as a yardstick so that just shows it was a horrendous call um i, th- I think another incident that hurt us at the time was that a young ben davis got very frustrated oh. and I think scared to be honest about the lack of ice time he was getting and thought that his career was oh. going to disappear down the pan and instead of being patient and waiting for his opportunity uh, to jump back into the lineup because there's always opportunities yeah. you know I had a career of sort of sitting there patiently uh-huh. waiting for some ice time and I always got to play plenty enough during the year um, and, you know and, I, and we'd explain that to Ben your chance will come it's just Sam Smith on fire yeah. we, we can't sit him down you know um, so I think Ben had panicked a bit as a young guy and you know inexperienced guy and he moves to Basingstoke oh, in the yeah. EPL and you know he would have been a great replacement yeah. for those five games for Tyler Michelle and and would have sort of lessened the impact of that but we didn't have that so all of a sudden you know we're a key guy down one of those spark plug guys down and you know without a, a straight replacement for him and uh, just yeah. to just to give some context to those Sheffield games you mentioned because I remember saying to Shannon before before that weekend. When Tyler, we knew Tyler Michelle, would you be happy at splitting the series? And he said, yeah, I'd be happy at splitting the series. And I remember that home game, the one where Mark Thomas scores the overtime winner for, for Sheffield. We were leading 3-2 or 4 of going into the, the third period, but Mark Smith had taken a hit and, mm-hmm. and couldn't take ice time, and, and, and they got it back and they won in overtime. And then the next night we had Michelle out already. I, I think Sam Smith was maybe ill or sick or something. Mark Smith was then out with the injury from the Saturday night, and I think Max had to drop back and, and, and play D, and we were never in the game. But I always look back at that overtime, that, that Mark Thomas uh, overtime winner, and think maybe if Mark Smith hadn't taken that hit or, or what have you, if we'd have just split that series that weekend, I still think we would have gone on and won the league title. Well, I mean, there is a loss after that weekend against uh, Brayhead, but after that, uh, there's eight straight wins to finish the league so you know there's another little mini streak mm-hmm. that occurs um something i guess we'll touch upon delicately <laughs> i suppose um is that during this campaign um bob phillips after falling out mm-hmm. with everyone in the off season relinquishes control of the Sheffield Steelers and paul reagan who's the current owner of the cartel buys it um, John, as fans, this is the second time yeah. that we experienced our owner buying our greatest rivals. Um, how are you feeling in the stands around the time that that happened? Well, I guess there's kind of the big picture, and then there's the Cardiff Devils fan who wants to win their first league title since 96-97. Thankfully, we've done that now. And I, I, I buy into this, the league does need... Sheffield and, and stable teams and what have you so I could see 
the, the fact that somebody kept Sheffield in the and, and also if we wanted to win the league title this year I didn't want Sheffield to be able to say it was because we were docked points or we lost players and therefore you want it I, I wanted to beat them outright and I'm you know, sure Franny's emotions were ten times mine but I, I wanted to beat them outright so whilst I wasn't comfortable I did kind of I wanted to beat them on even terms um, and I think the league probably does need Sheffield as much as it, it, it sticks in my throat so but at, but this was such a we didn't know the Todd Kelman years were, were coming and the Steve King years and it had been such a long wait since 96, 97 I didn't know and you know as much as I had faith in, in, in Franny and Gene what have you I didn't know when there was going to be a chance to win a league title again and anything that, that kind of muddied the waters that year the Tyler Michelle suspension um, so on and so forth and, and, and this yeah it, it just felt like the odds were stacked against us a little bit yeah and um, Franny I guess you know that I think John summed it up fantastically. They just, I guess, my only question to you on this part of the subject is: was it a big topic in the dressing room, or because it was kind of off ice? I guess you didn't, you know. I guess you don't day to day training, don't see the owners particularly. Did it have that much of an effect, really, on, on what you were doing or what you were concentrating on, you and G? I tell you what, what didn't go down well is when we saw the emergence of the, the famous half-and-half half Sheffield and Cardiff shirt. That's, <laughs> that's, that's not really what you want to see when, you go, when you're going head-to-head with your, your closest rivals. Um, I think the frustrating thing for, for me as part of the off-ice um, staff was that, obviously, when Sheffield took, was taken over... Um, we had access to the business side of them and they were losing a, a, an absolute fortune and they were spending an absolute fortune more than us in, in players as mm. well. Um, you know, People would not believe how little that world record team cost mm. um, you know, comparatively in, in the league. Um, you know, I would say, I, I'm not going to put figures on it, but we knew exactly how much Sheffield was spending, we knew how much we were spending um, normally what happens if somebody rescues a business is you know you cut your cloth accordingly yes. so we were expecting some changes um, I, I don't know if they made any signings after that point I can't remember um, but if anything we thought well hang on this is a club that was you know heading towards mm. liquidation before it got saved it was you know it was on the brink yeah. um, before you know the new ownership so the minimum is that you, you'd expect is that you're going to try and make that business solvent mm. and not have it sort of uh, almost subsidized by your own team and yes. uh, you know that that was a bit bitter in terms of knowing what the different spend level was that continued then right on in this in the season but um, you know even then I mean I, I don't think it was a distraction that cost us the league at all because we were you know we'd beaten them on the ice you know mm. with, with that you know size difference in the in the uh, the pay packets and you know we were, were confident that we could you know go on and do it so i don't think it had i think it was a it was a frustration it was frowned upon but i don't think it impacted performances the the only bit i found galling and i, I don't want to touch on a touchy subject here because there's obviously politics that go involved with with cardiff devils but when when paul paul reagan went on the ice and celebrated the league win in sheffield i must admit that that stuck in the throat and um, I'm not going to try and rewrite history. They're, they're, you know, I, I tried to be uh, involved with the supporters working with Paul Reagan, and I didn't openly criticise Paul. And, and Paul's always been okay with with, with, with me. So I, I don't want to rewrite history like he's. I think he's this big anti anti person, but it was a little bit galling. 
I thought when when having only owned the club for two to three weeks, he went on the ice and and, and celebrated that league title. Especially because the league hadn't been decided in the last day. Yes. That the Devils could have won the league. Yes. It was still in the, if Sheffield had lost that night, the Devils would have been crowned yes. champions. And I guess if you own two teams, that's a delicate yes. sort of sounding board. I got to talk about my travel arrangements that weekend, guys. As well, because <laughs> you had a very bad travel time. I, I just, I've always had bad travel time. So, that, <laughs> but um, uh, my ex-girlfriend, who I still hold in very high regard, I'm not with now, but but she knew how much the league title meant to me, and um, we, I think we played Coventry on the Saturday night and and won that game, and we went to Edinburgh on the Sunday, um, and I'd always said whatever the happened I needed to be where the Devils won the league title so to, to, to be very very fair to her she organised it we, we after the Coventry game on Saturday Sunday morning got up early drove to Bristol airport flew up to, to, to Edinburgh to watch this game uh, and, and the Devils won I remember Tim Burrows had a good game and what have you but you just kept looking at the phone and seeing the score coming through from um, from Sheffield um, and I remember in, in, in Edinburgh you, you sit right behind the, the away bench and um, I remember actually, Fran and, and Franny and myself didn't know each other particularly well at that time, but I remember I was just sitting behind it and kind of when that buzzer went, and the Devils had won and they'd had such a fantastic season, but I could almost see the, the, the look in Franny's eyes of, you know, seven, eight months hard work, and yes, we've got the world record, but again, you, you play for the biggest prize, and, and, and the Devils had, had, had missed out by a, by a nose hair, and, and, and that, was a, that was a pretty horrible night in, uh, in Murrayfield. Yeah, it's uh, it, with all those wins, and then it still came down not just to the first tiebreaker, was yeah. it? It was it wasn't goal difference that could separate the two teams. It wasn't something. It was regulation yeah. wins. I think it was, it was. Um, where we were ahead on regulation. We we had less regulation losses. Mm -hmm. We had less regulation wins. It was something weird like that. Um, it just so happens that I mean. You've got to you've got to have a winner, haven't you? Yeah. At some point, and you've got to have your criteria, and that criteria is set out, uh, and that's how close it was. I, I believe Belfast only finished a point behind the two of us. Yeah, Sheffield <laughs> beat them on a Thursday night, I think. Jason Hewitt scored to, to to knock them out finally. But yeah, so we they they were a point away from yeah. the league title and finished in third place. Yeah, and just shows how ridiculous it's it was. But it, it's the it's the just to finish on this. For me, I'm a big believer, I guess, in the old football adage that the table never lies. I actually think the table did kind of lie that way. <laughs> I, I genuinely think over the course of the whole season, the Cardiff Devils were the best team in the league that year. <laughs> well, they, uh, history will say different, unfortunately, for all of us around this table. Um, just a few loose ends from the season. More playoff heartache. In fact, it wasn't until this past April that all that playoff heartache was put to bed. Just a last little rumour and a little sort of uh, uh, things to, to tidy up in terms of things you hear. Um, had Ryan Finnick signed for Coventry by the time that playoff final had been played? They, I remember on Sky Sports, mm. David Sims had you know, quite proudly pronounced that a member of the Cardiff Devils had already signed elsewhere. Um, and the rumour, the scuttlebutt on the, on mm. the, in the block... Behind the goal that day was a Ryan Finney already signed in Coventry. Was that true? Uh, I think it was. Yeah, um, I think that was the the plan to go there. Um, 
you know, he'd had two years with us, and for whatever reason, you know, he, he I think he'd been promised maybe an b- even bigger role on on Coventry, um, but then he ended up with the yeah. the coaching job in Sheffield. Um, so you know, Coventry let him out of the the pre contract or whatever that was signed, and and had moved on. But um, yeah, I mean, going back to the playoffs, um, you know, we've obviously had the absolute heartache of you know going that far and doing so well and you know almost having you know the the league snatched away from us you know the, the five game suspension still in the back of your mind and you know just one more point during those five games would have would have done it and all that kind of stuff and the brayhead not showing up for that final weekend so you know the best way to make amends was you know to win the playoffs and then we'll have something to show for it and you know be the last team celebrating on the ice and it was all going well wasn't it in that yeah. in that playoff final it was <laughs> it was yeah. going very very well i remember the finity hill and voth line yeah. was absolutely on fire uh, voth gets one finna gets one yeah um finity put us 3-1 up i thought yeah we've won yeah and then i think we came out for the third period and they get one almost straight away yeah. you forget the guy's name um he just sort of cut us like a knife yeah. through butter and go in there and it was just like watching slow motion where nothing happened and and then the I think the deciding goal was Beauregard I think it was a wraparound did Stevie it, drop his stick Stevie and had his stick knocked out of his hand by Mark Smith now Mark Smith you know we haven't even talked about Mark Smith yeah. you know what an underrated player he mm. was probably made as many saves as Stevie yeah. during you know during that uh, that year um, I remember watching him some games coming off, you know, effing and blinding, and you know, shaking his his hand, arm, head, whatever he blocked the shot with. But you go out and do exactly the same next yeah. shift, you know. Um, and he gets a little bit too close to Stevie, and he bumps the stick out of his hand. Um, I think as well, G, who you know barely put a foot wrong when he played, fell for one of their players calling for the puck. So yeah. G went behind the net and reversed it. Straight to one of the Nottingham guys, Beauregard steps out and yeah, wraps it around. Stevie's got no stick and and that's the game winner. And you know, for the second time in a few weeks, uh, yeah, you know, now it's double heartbreak. That was. That, I, I'm I'm ashamed, proud to say I don't know. What, I think that's the last time I cried, guys. After, after <laughs> driving home, after just just because to sum up the whole season when. It, it, it's not like now the Devils aren't, weren't one of the big teams so it's, so for G and Franny to do such a great job and to, to to be almost there but to lose out on the last nick on, on both occasions um, yeah I, I, even someone as stone-hearted as me I was pretty uh, I was pretty hurt on the way home well I, I must admit that I think it's what eight years mm. the elite league have been around at this point and this was the first year I stormed out before the presentation yeah. I I left whoever I was with at the time. There was a group of us, and I went back to the hotel to yeah. impose myself <laughs> an evening. But um, look, we don't want to end on on a downer because um, certainly when um, we had the match a, a couple of seasons ago and the team got back together, mm-hmm. um, I think it was plain to see just how special a group mm-hmm. that was, yeah. and it. I, I still maintain they probably could have given the Devils a run for their money mm. that year to a, <laughs> to, to a league championship as well. They still looked every bit um, as talented. A lot of guys retiring far too soon. Yeah. Um, so I guess what I'd like to end on, and, and I'll, this is a question for both of you, we'll, we'll uh, throw it out. What is the legacy of the record breakers? 
I think at the time that that Guinness World Record, which we did get confirmed um, after, it it didn't feel like much of a prize at the time because yeah. you know when you look in the record books in terms of our league, um, we did we weren't the league champion um, champions, we weren't uh, the playoff champions. Um, but now, you know, when the dust settles, yes, it still hurts. But obviously, you know, the club's gone on to, to great things now. Um, I think every single player that was involved in that year and, you know, every single sort of member of staff um, is proud of that world record. I mean, it's a world record. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think we thought the next year that Norfolk Admirals in the AHL had yeah. beaten it because they went on some crazy run that... Uh, but uh, it's still not in the world records because it was um, some playoff games were involved in that mm-hmm. where ours was a league, yeah. a league only streak. Um, so uh, yeah, it's I think that that world record is something everyone can be proud of, and you know, hey, everyone on that team can say that they were a world record holder, which not many people can can say. So. Uh, as time goes on, you know, that comfort grows and, you know, my lasting memory of that team will indeed be the Matska, uh, you know, the Matska mm. game where everybody bar, you know, Ben Davis couldn't get out yeah. of, you know, he'd just gone to North America to, yeah. to crack it. So, you know, obviously that was impossible for him to come. But, you know, for all those guys to come in and, and fly in and, uh, you know, on their own expense yeah. and, um, you know, to, to do something like that for Scott, I just think, you know, that is the legacy of that team. Uh, for me, I, I would echo everything Franny said there. For, for me, it was a real, and I do thank Franny and G for this. It, it, it was a shot in the arm when we needed it, and it, and it took a few years to come to fruition that we could compete again. I, I was kind of worried, and it's going to sound extremely snobbish, that we were turning into a a Basingstoke or something like that, where we were always going to be mid-table, you know, maybe below that in in the elite league, and. I'm sure as these podcasts go on, I'm going to bore people with the stories of how, <laughs> you know, I grew up when, when you know, with Franny playing and, and the Devils dominated British ice hockey. And, and my expectation of the Devils every season, even during the bad times, was to compete for a league title. Uh, and it really hurt that we weren't doing that. And I think, um, and I'm not turning this to an old fans, new fans thing, but there are a lot of new fans who maybe at that time had never experienced the Devils competing for anything. And I think it was just a nice shot in the arm to say, no, this this club is still based on winning, and this club sets standards, and that world record does sit there in the, in the record books for that. And and for me, just personally, it was a reassurance that maybe not that year, and it was heartbreaking, but but one day I'd see my club lift the league title again. Yeah, and I think that the pride for for me and G is that we know what budget that was done on. Mm-hmm. There was all kind of rumours on the, the stupid money that we'd given to Craig Weller. Now I physically typed out of his con- typed out his contract, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the top earner on our team, and our team weren't anywhere near the top earners on other yeah. teams. I know how much we spent to the penny, and I know how much other teams spent to the penny, and it was, you know, it was significantly lower. And you know, when you think of what we did achieve yeah. during that time, that I mean, that makes you know me proud and and G proud of, uh, you know, we we definitely definitely punched above our weight during that period, and it's. Uh, you know, that's it's something for us to look back on, you know, with, with a smile. And uh, it just, you know, is frustrating that it, it's not in the record books as, you know, as a trophy. Yeah. Well, that's it. That is the 10 11 record breaking season. We laughed, we cried, 
I'm still annoyed about the suspension. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> after all this time. But we're all record holders. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you very much for joining us. Um, guys, I guess um, I'd like to do some more of these. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it'll be interesting to maybe go back in time a little bit further and uh, test John's memory bank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get more beer in for Franny next yeah, time. Yeah, we'll make sure that. Uh, <laughs> And uh, maybe you know, those figures maybe need to come out a little bit more <laughs> in future episodes. But um, I think what we'll probably do is uh, get a poll on Twitter with a few topics mm-hmm. and see what people want to hear. Okay. Um, so I guess we'll have a discussion about that. But gentlemen, thank you ever so much for joining me. And um, yeah, until we jump in our time machine again, uh, I'm Gareth Hewish. And on uh, behalf of uh, John Donovan and Neil Francis, thank you very much. And um, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you.